mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Governor DeWine has predicted the impact of the CHIPS Act will be transformative for the state. How might that include our area in Northwest Ohio? We'll speak with Economic Development Director Tim Miley. Also this morning, to your health, relatively few people suffer from the autoimmune disorder IgA nephropathy, and that rarity can sometimes leave patients and their families feeling isolated and unsupported. And we have details on August events and programs at the Hancock Historical Museum. Sarah Sisser will be here to tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. Today is National Watermelon Day. It is also National Airplane Crop Duster Day. Clean Your Floors Day. It is Esther Day. I don't know why Esther Day, but that's what it says. And I'm not kidding you about this. It is actually, and this is one of my favorite uh, celebrations of the day, observances of the day. It is (laughs) Grab Some Nuts Day. Grab some nuts day. Just going to leave that right there. So we always have to have something to be worried about uh, each and every day. And here is today's uh, thing that should bother you. This is today's uh, item that should should make you fearful or should concern you, should worry you. We're all familiar with the issue of data privacy, but an overlooked source of snooping is now getting some attention, your car. Yes, that's right, your car may be spying on you. If it's connected, it knows where you are and where you're going. If you use Bluetooth uh, to connect your phone to your car, your car then can access all of your contact information, all of your data history on your mobile device. There is a growing market for that data for use in uh, direct advertising Uh, targeted advertising, and yet no federal laws protecting driver privacy have passed since 2015, which I'm not surprised. It's not something that most people would think about your car spying on you. But we should worry about this uh, since there is no law protecting driver privacy. Car makers have this window to collect and sell location data uh, on People who drive their cars, uh, once they have opted into services like GPS, roadside assistance, and uh, other connected features. This according to a report from NBC News. So uh, that is the uh, latest thing we need to uh, be fearful of, be worried of. Our car may be spying on us. So just to start your morning with your uh, daily dose of discomfort there. So what? It'll be about uh, three weeks, a little less than three weeks now until uh, Finley City Schools are back in class and uh, the other county schools will follow shortly thereafter. So it won't be long now before this time of the morning. Uh, Your kids will be stumbling out of bed. But a high school in Brazil decided to try something a little different. They shifted the start time for school, shifted the start of class back one hour. And uh, the results were rather surprising. Researchers discovered that the teenagers felt less depressed, less angry, less fatigued throughout the school day just by starting one hour later. The theory is, the working theory is, that the body's natural circadian rhythm changes during the teen years, making it harder for adolescents to wake up and stay awake in the morning. <laughs> Which may be why during the summer, your teenagers sleep until noon. I know uh, that when I was that age, that was my, <laughs> that was what I did. I slept in until noon in the summertime. Um, and obviously that I don't do that now, but uh, when I was younger, and uh, they say it is uh, that is a natural thing, and it makes it harder for adolescents to wake up and stay awake early in the day. The uh, study, conducted over the course of three weeks by the, by the Federal University for Latin American Integration, 
Uh, they uh, changed the start of the school uh, school days, start time from 7.30 in the morning until 8.30. And uh, they had uh, tremendous uh, success. Now, whether they stuck with that or not, or whether they just did it for the time to conduct the research, I don't know. But I would, you know, that's one of the things that in this country, there's been discussion. Do we start school too early for kids? Would they be better served? If we move back the uh, start of, uh, of classes, but in this country, that would be extremely hard to do. I mean, you think of all of the after school activities, all of the things that kids are involved in after school to try and push those things back uh, by an hour with just throw a whole monkey wrench in the schedule. I just don't know how um, feasible that is in this country, but kind of interesting. Uh, nonetheless, you definitely want to make sure that the kids are awake and and alert and all of that so that they can get the most out of their education. Because check this. Uh, It says here, working for minimum wage may be more harmful for your brain than it is for your wallet. So, got to get those kids up, get a good education, because you don't want them stuck in a dead-end job. Uh, Not just for their financial well-being, but for their physical well-being as well. A new study finds that continuously working for low wages leads to significantly faster memory decline throughout life. Simply put, when someone works a low-paying job, their brain ages faster than someone who makes a good salary. Uh, Researchers at Columbia University note that previous studies have linked low-wage jobs to depressive symptoms, obesity, and hypertension. All of those increase a person's risk for accelerated cognitive aging. They say our research provides new evidence that sustained exposure to low wages during peak earning years is associated with accelerated accelerated memory decline later in life. So the effects don't necessarily pop up immediately, but over time. Uh, Dr. Katerina Kezios, Ph.D., researcher at the Columbia University School of Public Health, uh, used records from the National Health and Retirement Study on adults between 1992 and 2016, examining data on nearly 3,000 people. Uh, They defined low wage as hourly pay that was less than two-thirds of the federal median wage during any given year. So that's how they define low wage. But working working for peanuts is not good for your wallet, not good for your brain. Interesting. And that is concerning considering this item here says economic mobility has taken a hit in the U.S. Only half of 30 year olds, only half of 30 year olds today earn more than their parents did at their age. Uh, Earlier generations, that was 90 percent of 30 year olds would earn more than their parents uh, did at their age. And isn't that what we kind of all hope for our kids that they will have it a little bit better than we do and so on and so forth over the generations. And that's how we uh, build better lives for all Americans is that each generation has it a little bit better than the one before, but only half of 30 year olds today earn more than their parents did at that age. One key to earning more in adulthood may be the company you keep in childhood. According to this study uh, involving researchers at Harvard, Stanford, NYU, and the Santa Fe Institute, all collaborating uh, with Meta and Opportunity Insights, the uh, difference between kids who grow up with rich friends and those who lack such ties can be striking, according to these findings. Research published in the science magazine Nature Earlier this week, a poor child, for example, a poor child who grows up in Minneapolis, where there's greater integration between low income and wealthy kids, reaches an average income of thirty four thousand three hundred dollars by age thirty five, almost ten thousand dollars more annually than the typical income of a poor kid from Indianapolis, where there are fewer social connections between the two sides of the wealth spectrum. They conclude the company you keep. Uh, can impact the amount of money you make later in life. So, in other words, have your kids make rich friends. That's what that's what I am hearing uh, out of that. Um, and then when I saw this, um, 
and I don't know. Now I, it's not in front of me here. Um, to do, 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 do. It talked about, uh, oh, here's another way that you can, uh, make more money. Tweet more. Tweet more. To make more, a new study reveals executives who self-promote regularly on Twitter are more likely to receive job offers with high salaries than those who don't. The uh, co-author of this study, Andrew Winson, professor of information risk and operations management at the Macomb School of Business, the University of Texas at Austin, says that executives who promoted their expertise and qualifications on Twitter, 32% more likely to attract higher paying job offers after interviews. Researchers do warn that there can be risks to this social strategy. Poorly written tweets can backfire if hiring managers don't like what they see. Uh, Folks who tweet could also face backlash from the public if they perceive uh, individuals to be too self-promoting. On the other hand, when executives are spot on with their self-promotion, it elevates their credibility and sets them apart from potential competitors. Researchers also found that tweeting has more tangible, longer-term effects in the form of better job opportunities and higher overall earnings. People are actively self-promoting on Twitter will benefit from doing so, they say. So So there is that. Always tweet. Tweet more. Make rich friends as a kid and tweet more. Those are the things in order to uh, get a better job, apparently. Those are the secrets. Now you know. That's, you know, what we do here. We try and make you make you wiser and make you improve your life somehow. If we can do that, then we have done our job. And, um, of course, then there is this. And I don't know how much tweeting you have to do. I don't know how many rich friends you have to make. I don't know how much uh, education you would need to have this job, but a Canadian candy company is hiring a chief candy officer. Uh, It's a work-from-home job. Duties include leading candy board meetings, being the head taste tester, and all things fun. Candy Funhouse. This Canadian candy company, the CEO says thousands of candidates have already applied for the position, but they apparently have not filled it yet. If you'd like to be the chief candy officer for Candy Funhouse, I would imagine there's more information on their website. By the way, the pay is $78,000 a year. Not too shabby. Sitting on your couch and taste testing candy all day. (laughs) Might not be best for your health, but... uh, now, it should be pointed out, I don't know if that's $78,000 Canadian, but still, not too bad for being a chief candy taster there. Here you go, some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather, plenty of sunshine expected today with a high of 94. It'll be partly cloudy tonight, a low of 73. Finley's Flag City Night Out included a canine demonstration by four local police canines. Sergeant Tom Miller at the Hancock County Sheriff's Office says Night Out is one of his favorite events to show off Sunny to the public. I always get here super early. We start getting Sunny out early, getting him to meet some kids. Um, he loves the kids coming up, approaching him. He's great with kids. We pass out a lot of training cards. The demonstration also included canine Charlie from the sheriff's office, as well as canines Deke and Shadow from the Finley Police Department. Get more on the website. As parents across Ohio get their kids ready for the new school year, safety is at the top of mind for many, including a new law that allows school staff to be armed. Ohio's governor was talking about classroom safety at the school safety summit in Columbus. Matter of fact, in the opening remarks, the governor spoke of the importance of keeping children safe and providing the resources to Ohio schools to prevent violence in the classroom. Governor Mike DeWine had come under scrutiny after signing House Bill 99 into law, a law that allows school districts to choose what's in their best interest when it comes to safety. And that includes arming school employees. In Columbus, Tino Ramos. The Finley-Hancock County Community Foundation Board of Trustees approved more than $450,000 in grants at their July board meeting. 
Among the grants awarded, the Hancock County Veterans Service Office was awarded a grant to install a story walk along Heritage Trail with information on Hancock County's contributions to military campaigns as well as the Wellness Recovery Action Plan initiative to connect at-risk veterans with community services. You can go over the full list of grants and learn more about the Finley-Hancock County Community Foundation on our website. Children's Mentoring Connection of Hancock County will be holding an open house this week. We recently spoke with the organization Stacy Shaw about their summer recruitment initiative. Volunteering your time makes a priceless impact. We have programs that fit everyone's schedule from occasionally two to three times a month or weekly for an hour at one of our school programs. The open house will be held on Thursday. Get more on the website. I'm Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. So now to our cover story this morning. Yesterday, a big ceremony at the White House as President Biden signed the Chips and Science Act, a law that Governor DeWine said the other day would be transformative for the Buckeye State. We already know about Intel's multi-billion dollar investment in the Columbus area, but what about for our region in Northwest Ohio? Economic Development Director Tim Miley is with us on the line this morning. And uh, Tim, would you agree with that uh, description, transformative for the state of Ohio? That sounds like the uh, governor has some pretty lofty expectations. Hey, good morning, Chris. Uh, Thanks for having me. I I would definitely agree with the governor and... um, prepping for this meeting, I, I uh, talked to <coughs> former Mayor Lydia Mahalik, who heads up the Ohio Department of Development. And I mm. said, what does this mean? And she said it allows, CHIPS allows Intel to move faster and scale larger, which is, you know, kind of hard to believe when you think about they've already announced $20 billion and it's getting to even get bigger than that. So I would definitely agree with the governor. And I, I think back to when uh, Honda uh, located in central Ohio and the trickle-down effect that has had for the economy throughout the state. Uh, you expect that same type of um, uh, branching out effect to uh, possibly uh, provide opportunities here as well? I do, and I think it's going to cast a wider net than Honda did. Honda, we're fortunate to be, you know, less than an hour from Honda, and we've seen a lot of Japanese investment and other auto supplier investment. But we've already we've already seen activity related to the semiconductor because we have a, a site visit here in the next couple of weeks for a five hundred million dollar investment. You, know, you never know if you're going to get it, but at least we're on the short list, and it's related to packaging of semiconductors. And I think a lot of people realize that. Finley knows semiconductors. If you think about it, our largest employer used to be RCA on Fostory Avenue mm-hmm. back in the 60s and 70s. And, of course, we saw the effects of offshoring when that left town back in the early 2000s. So, so we've seen what type of jobs that this brings and excited to have the opportunity to participate in it. Again, when you look at, uh, you know, what, the possibilities may be from this, uh, you can get an idea uh, from what we have learned in the past. And we mentioned Honda and how uh, really there has been such a, an incredible growth in the state of Ohio of uh, automotive related technologies. And some of that has come directly uh, because of Honda, Honda suppliers and, and so on. But uh, much of that has uh, also come indirectly. And a lot has been made about the Intel investment and, and what that will mean and the, the chips that they will be producing and so on. But I, I, here again, do you see the opportunity for other similar related technologies to grow out of that that are not necessarily direct, uh, directly related to Intel? I do, and I give you a really good example. I'm I'm up in Traverse City, Michigan, this week for the Center for Advanced, um, not Advanced Manufacturing, Car Automotive Research, mm-hmm. and we were sitting in a session yesterday, and they were talking about advanced driver assistance systems and the amount of computing that has to happen. Basically, you you see those little circles on your cars, and that's lidar scanning, and it's trying to make things safer. Well, they're looking to go from a level two in autonomous driving to level four for fleets. And they were talking yesterday, the changes in the hardware that they're going to need and the semiconductors. So there's this whole new industry with this new computing power and what the semiconductors do that will go into fleet vehicles, but 
they'll go into John Deere tractors. They go into basically anything that we're using now because the technology is, is moving along so quickly, which is part of the reason you have the shortage. You have the disruption from COVID and the supply chain, and there's always uh, extremely tight capacity for semiconductors. But we have a much larger demand now with the new technology that I'm seeing up here this week in the cars that we're going to see in the next three, four, five years down the road. And that's also a reshoring opportunity because a lot of this technology exists in Asia right now mm-hmm. and um, policy and cafe standards and, and how much value of the car has to be American-made. All this new capacity of semi-chips will allow for new capacity of other technologies as well. It's interesting you mention uh, autonomous vehicles and and that type of advanced technology in the automotive sector. And and so here again, uh, you have that merging of a a good, solid uh, infrastructure that we have for automotive uh, parts manufacturing and automotive technology and then merging this with uh, Intel's investment and what we hope will be a a much uh, larger investment in the state of Ohio in technology. And so we're kind of uniquely poised uh, with that. But you have, I think we have talked about that uh, in the past, that uh, the uh, companies, some of the companies that we have here in our area right now are working on this type of technology today. So it only stands to reason that this would uh, accelerate that and, and, and make that even uh, even a greater part of, of their uh, business. It's interesting because we do have automotive companies looking at this. We have companies that are taking a look at the laundry, for example, that is required to go into a clean room to support semiconductors, which mm-hmm. is something that probably people never think about. But the other thing, too, even if we didn't land a semiconductor plant or supplier here in Finley, and, and just this alone, if it can free up production, because we have all kinds of automotive tier one suppliers in Finley, that the disruption, because Honda and the other OEMs have to shut down because they can't get the semi-chips, their plant down as well. And so we've seen over the last 18, 24 months, peaks and valleys, which makes it very difficult. It makes it tough on the the workforce when you have to, at full production one week and the next week you're you're down because the OEM says, hey, we we can't get these parts. Yeah. I I, I heard uh, that some of the car dealerships now are receiving cars that aren't ready to sell just because the inventories are so high waiting on on parts that they just needed to move them to somewhere else. So Mm -hmm. this ripple effect continues to happen. Absolutely. So talk a little bit about how you go about your job and how does uh, something like this then uh, 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 affect or or impact or, um, you know, what what you do in terms of, you know, thinking out of the box or thinking about opportunities that perhaps we can accommodate here in this area to pitch uh, Hancock County, Findlay, Northwest Ohio as a landing point for some of these uh, advanced investments? Well, the first thing we have to do is understand what the opportunities are, and that's why we come up to conferences like this so we can learn firsthand what what needs to happen, what types of companies, and a lot of these companies who are investing in this technology are here, so we spend a lot of time meeting the companies. So that's one part of it. The other part is all these are going to be greenfield investment opportunities. There's there's just no building capacity anywhere, as you've seen with some spec buildings that we have going up in Finley right now. So we have to also do the traditional blocking and tackling of economic development of having land prepared. So if you think about Campbell Soup, McLean, ZF, Amazon, a lot of our new uh, RL carriers, those were all pieces of land that our office had relationships with landowners when we did the environmental work, the geotechnical work, the ALTA surveys, the title work. So you have to be prepared. So like this lead that we have coming in in a few weeks, I have no idea who the company is. We, we get an RFI for that. I think we received that in June. We submit it. Jobs Ohio goes through and works with a consultant. In many cases, they don't know who the company is. But you have to be prepared if they say, yes, we're interested. If you don't have a site that's ready and under control, you're not even going to get a site visit. So Mm. it's it's really kind of market intelligence to make sure we know what we want to go after and be proactive, but also be prepared when the phone rings. So really interesting that, uh, again, as uh, ground is broken and this uh, Intel uh, plant is uh, underway, with the uh, Chips and, and Science Act uh, bringing more uh, money and more opportunities, uh, more incentives uh, for that, well, we could be right in 
uh, kind of on the ground level of that uh, as well. So something to pay attention to over the next year to year and a half or so uh, as uh, this kind of plays itself out. Really quickly, before we let you go on a, on a different uh, subject, want to uh, uh, ask for your thoughts on the news earlier this week that we're finally getting some movement on the Argyle building site uh, downtown. How exciting is that to have what appears to be a solid plan ready to go to finally develop that site? Yeah, that's a, been a long time coming. I remember in 2012, I happened to be downtown going to a meeting, watching the Argyle burn. And, you know, ever since then, we've known we've, we have to find a solution for that property. And as you know, we've had three or four developers take a shot at it. Some of them had a bigger plan with a with the city lot and the surrounding lots. Mm-hmm. And this plan kind of goes back to what the Argyle was, which was a standalone building. And the the big news out of all this was we finally got someone to purchase the lot. Before we had some got some developers taking a look at it and thinking about how could they raise money and right. how could they the planning commission. But we finally have a developer who has purchased the land and has committed to, to move forward, which is fantastic. And this developer we've been working with, he's, I've been down to Columbus to some of his sites several times. He's been up to Finley quite a bit. He's asked to sit and talk with some of our businesses to, to learn about what their employees need and because things have changed a lot post-COVID. And apartments are going to be a little bit smaller because people got tired of having to work from their office, so they want to go in co-working space. So you may see some co-working space on the first floor, for example, mm. in this apartment. Mm. He's really trying to develop a a complex that is what maybe younger professionals would want. There's a lot more people looking to live downtown. Yeah. So I think it's I think it's going to be the solution that we've wanted all along. A lot of exciting stuff going on. Again, Economic Development Director Tim Miley with us this morning. Tim, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, Chris. Well, to your health this morning, less than 150,000 people in this country suffer from uh, something called IgA nephropathy. Uh, It is a uh, chronic autoimmune disease that affects the kidneys, but the rarity of this condition often leaves patients and their families feeling isolated and unsupported. So joining us this morning to talk more about it, uh, some of the resources that are available uh, is uh, Andrew Udell. He is uh, North American president at uh, Caliditas uh, Therapeutics, and uh, Judy Aiken, who is an Eigen uh, uh, patient and patient advocate. Uh, first of all, Andrew, let me start with you. Talk us uh, through this uh, condition, what it is, what the symptoms are, how it impacts people, that kind of thing. Sure. So IgA nephropathy or IGAN is a, uh, it's chronic, it's rare, and it's an autoimmune disease that attacks the kidneys. So people get inflammation and then damage to their kidneys. And unfortunately, some of these patients, it leads to end-stage renal disease, which means dialysis and kidney transplantation. While the disease uh, attacks the kidneys, it's suspected or felt to originate, I should say, in the gut. Uh, from antibodies that are formed in our own body in the in the gut. As far as symptoms and, and the journey, the patients tip, sometimes they're very different journeys, but if they do feel symptoms prior to diagnosis or even after, uh, they typically include things like blood in the urine or very frothy urine. Uh, they can have flank pain, and, and they can have swelling in the lower limbs and the legs and the ankles. Um, but that's, you know, different for each patient. Now, uh, Judy, you were diagnosed in 2019 with this condition. Um, I, I would imagine that because it's so rare, did you get that diagnosis right away, or was it something that was a, a bit of a trial and error process of elimination? No, I was fortunate that it was pretty right away. I was diagnosed the summer of 2019 after a routine visit with a general practitioner. She was really concerned about my blood pressure and decided to run a full blood panel, at which time it came back that I had stage three chronic kidney disease. Um, She referred me to a nephrologist who decided to do a kidney biopsy and it came back that it was IgA nephropathy. So the diagnosis was fairly quick. Talk about uh, how then you managed uh, that condition. So um, after the biopsy, I was 
put on some uh, different treatments for the symptoms and pretty much sent on my way to kind of navigate it myself. I decided um, because it was such a rare disease and it was really extremely isolating and really hard to, you know, deal with the fact that I was living with an incurable disease and I decided to kind of turn to social media to get some more information to connect with other patients and I learned, you know, that one of the key things is your protein level. So I decided to go plant-based, and so I follow a low-sodium plant-based diet. I also make sure that I follow up with my nephrologist every three months. I do monthly um, blood panels to make sure my kidney function and my protein levels are where they need to be so that I can stay stable. Now, uh, Andrew, as Judy was mentioning, uh, this is more about management uh, than a cure. This is an incurable uh, condition. What are the, the treatment options that are currently available? Yeah, as Judy described, and, and obviously patients should seek uh, guidance and, and consultation with their physician, but as Judy described, historically there's been lifestyle changes like diet and things to treat the symptoms like uh, lowering blood pressure. Uh, fortunately, there's been a lot of research in the area in the last several years, and uh, Cleditas Therapeutics, our company, recently received at the end of last year FDA approval for the first medication that was specifically designed to treat IgA nephropathy. Uh, in addition to being proud of that accomplishment, we recently launched a patient portal uh, called IGAN Connect, which really helps patients discover more about the disease, resources that they can look uh, to use uh, when they're diary, keeping diaries about their medications and things of that uh, that nature, uh, so that they don't feel as isolated as Judy described, and, and they can meet other patients as well on IGAN Connect. Uh, Judy, is this a, a game changer, is, uh, as you were mentioning, for you uh, in finding that support, I would imagine, uh, like anything, when you turn to social media, it's kind of hit and miss. So I, I would imagine this mm-hmm. is uh, quite a uh, uh, quite a uh, helpful resource. Oh yes, for sure. It definitely helps to have one place that we can go to to connect with each other. And what's great about IGAN Connect, it's not just for the patient, but it is also for the caregivers. So for me, my family had a really hard time, you know dealing with my diagnosis, especially my son, who at the time was five years old, you know, he had to learn that his mom was sick and she was I wasn't gonna be the same. And there was a chance that, you know, I might not be here for him. Mm. And then also too with my husband, you know, he still he's still learning how to cope with it and how to deal with it and how to help me. So to have one place where we can all come together like I can connect is so amazing for our community. We often talk about uh, the the fear of the unknown. I guess this is uh, one way of, mm-hmm. of removing that fear of the unknown. You certainly feel more empowered when you have that information. Oh, yes, for sure. You definitely feel like you're more in control of, I guess, like your destiny. Yeah. Like with the information, you know, information is power. So the more information we can have about our disease and the more experiences we can hear about from other patients and other caregivers, the more tools we'll have to navigate through living with this illness. The more empowered you are. And uh, Andrew, mention again the uh, website where folks can get more information. Sure, it's IGANConnect.com, IGANConnect.com. Which we will link up at our webpage uh, as well, so folks can get more information there. Uh, To your health this morning, Andrew Udell, North American President at uh, Caliditas Therapeutics, and Judy Aiken, an IGA uh, nephropathy uh, patient, patient advocate. Thank you both for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Thank Thank you. In case you missed it last week, uh, we uh, hit the one-month mark before uh, Findlay City Schools students returned to class. And now we are less than three weeks, so it is the countdown is on, and preparations for the new academic year have really kicked into high gear at the Findlay City Schools. Uh, we spoke with uh, Interim Superintendent Krista Kreitz-Miller about those preparations for bringing the kids back to class. 
What are the uh, the key dates or things to uh, watch for in terms of meet the teacher nights and you know that kind of open houses, uh, class schedules becoming out, class assignments? I remember when I was uh, that age, that was one of the things that we always look forward to finding out whose class we were going to be in uh, for the uh, new school year. When will all of that information be out? Yeah, it's a very exciting time running up to the doors to look at your class schedule and getting your locker combinations. Um, So our middle schools are going to conduct theirs the same evening, which is August 15th, um, or all the same day, August 15th, and then they do divide by alphabet. That's all on social media. Um, The high school, the 9 through 12 orientation is the 17th. And then our elementaries are going to be the 18th from 4 to 6, and our amazing preschool is the 22nd, and they have two time blocks as well, day and evening, and all that. That we, we post on social media and make certain that we're communicating with parents. Are there any changes, anything new that uh, parents will need to know in terms of uh, school schedules, the bus routes, uh, times, you know, all of that? Is anything going to change significantly from last year? We do not have any substantial changes this year at all. Okay. Um, we did last year, as, as many remember, that first day of school after our building consolidation we were um, you know had a couple of issues with our transportation with our elementaries mm-hmm. we've got that all streamlined and smoothed out we're working on some technology that'll even make the the process even more seamless as well as real great communication with our parents so no big changes there all we need is uh, the 23rd to get here so we can get our kids in our buildings and uh, with respect to that especially the buses i know we've had the uh, stories uh, in the news that a number of districts are struggling with uh, finding enough staff uh, for uh, bus drivers and and, and so on how uh, is the uh, finley city schools doing with respect to uh, all of that support staff yeah, that has definitely been an issue. We have an amazing transportation director, um, Zach Q-Tub, and he has done a great job, you know, getting staff and, and really recruiting some great folks. So right now we are ready for our buses to roll. Um, and, and we, as of this moment, do not have any issues that we don't have enough staffing to roll the buses. Now, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because, and, and you know, as an elementary school teacher, as well as anyone, uh, it is extremely difficult for particular particularly younger students, but really students of all ages, to kind of turn on a dime. It's always a good idea for parents to start easing kids back into that routine well in advance of the school year. That is very true, and it not only helps the students and the teachers at school, but it helps the parents when they come home from school and students aren't quite as exhausted as they might have been if they didn't get a good night's sleep. So starting some routine, um, getting back into maybe a little earlier bedtime, a little earlier wake-up time is definitely proactive for all involved in the start of school. And uh, again, that applies to all ages, but particularly for uh, the younger students, kindergartners, Mm -hmm. first graders, uh, even preschoolers who will be going to school for the first time and may be a little nervous about that. Again, I know it's something that uh, you have dealt with uh, in the past in in your classes. What can you advise? What what should parents do to sort of uh, ease some of that nervousness? You know, that's a great question. I think one is starting a bit of a routine, making sure that the students have a lot of sleep and, you know, a nice full belly coming to school. Mm -hmm. Um, And part of it is just trusting the process. They're going to be tired. They're going to be a little bit anxious. But those transitions are a part of life. And that's what grows them into, you know, the wonderful adults they're going to someday be and and trusting the process and trusting the schools and trusting that the students are going to do a great job and handle it. It's oftentimes much harder on us moms and dads than it is (laughs) the student transitioning into school. A fair point. And by the way, you mentioned something that uh, reminded me of of an item that I actually forgot to mention, and I want to go back to this uh, because it is very important, uh, making sure that kids are well-fed, uh, a good breakfast yeah. before the uh, they send them to class. Uh, but that brings up the point that the... Uh, school lunches, the uh, free school lunches that were in effect, uh, that program during the pandemic that provided uh, the free school lunches for uh, virtually universal uh, school lunches, that is changing, right? That is correct. So we are back to, to purchasing school lunches. Right. Um, all of the menus and, and pricing will be on um, all of the social media. And there are, of course, options that if that is an issue for a family, there is paperwork that we support families in completing that there are there is an availability of free or reduced lunch. But families will need to make that application once again, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And we will have um, stations at our open houses that okay. um, you do that through. Yep, yeah, and we will have availability at open houses to help support families to do that. Okay, so uh, just to put that uh, in your brain, if uh, for families who are in need, uh, that you will have to do that once again because that program, uh, that yep. universal uh, lunch program, is uh, coming to an end. So a very important note there. Again, uh, Interim Superintendent Krista Kreitz Miller with us this morning. Krista, thanks very much for uh, taking the time, and uh, certainly best of luck in these uh, final preparations of this last month before school. Thank you very much, and go Trojans. In case you missed it last week, a part of our conversation with Findlay City Schools Interim Superintendent Krista Kreitz-Miller. As we count down to back to school, now less than three weeks, 20 days until the first day of school. You can get more information on the everything you need to know uh, before sending your kids back to class at the Good Mornings webpage. We've got it linked up. Go to goodmornings.net, and if you want to hear our complete interview uh, with Krista Kreitz-Miller and uh, talking about uh, back to school and all of the preparations for that. Uh, check out the Good Mornings podcast edition wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it was from last week, I believe, last Tuesday is uh, when we uh, spoke with her. But you can uh, check that out, the Good Mornings podcast edition. You can listen on the WFIN app, which is free to download from the App Store, Google Play. You can subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. 20 years of good mornings on WFIN. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Today's update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Dateline, Madison, Wisconsin, where a man is safe... After the fire department says he got stuck in the drum of a cement truck <laughs> on the north side of town. Uh, stuck in the drum of a cement truck. The fire de- department says the unidentified man was doing maintenance on the uh, drum of the truck late Sunday when somehow he managed to get stuck. The, <laughs> the fire department says he couldn't fit through the access hatch, so firefighters had to use a uh, plasma cutter to get him out. He was uh, taken to the hospital. Uh, He is going to be okay, apparently. Um, But (laughs) can you imagine trying to turn that into uh, your insurance company? What happened? I got stuck in the drum of a cement truck. What? Excuse me? What? File that under workman's comp? I guess. I would. A little unusual, though. Thank goodness he's okay. Uh, Let's see here. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, definitely odd and unusual in Kansas City. Think about this. What is the strangest thing you have ever seen dumped by the side of the road? I will guarantee that it pales in comparison to what Kansas City officials found underneath uh, a bridge at 23rd Street and Manchester Avenue. (laughs) somebody dumped an entire mobile home under the bridge. Um, Local news reports say the Kansas City officials are scratching their heads over how someone was able to leave an entire house underneath a city bridge without anyone noticing. The uh, somewhat beat-up building was tucked underneath the bridge by 23rd Street and Manchester Avenue. Uh, Authorities are now trying to piece together who is responsible. So far, a suspect has not been named. Uh, Kansas City has been struggling with illegal dumping, but this takes the cake. This is, uh, <laughs> the city recently launched a hotline for people to anonymously leave tips when they uh, see things uh, dumped by the side of the road, but even that wasn't enough to stop one person from leaving an entire mobile home under a city bridge. That's, <laughs> that is, a, that is unusual. That is unusual. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Uh, no, how about this one? No, how about this one? Okay. Uh, Brooklyn, New York. I mean, I've heard of people getting upset when their fast food order gets messed up. I've done it myself. I've gotten upset. I've had, you know, ordered, uh, a meal and then you get it and it's not what you ordered or something's you know, not right about it or what it can be very frustrating. I get it. And we've had stories of uh, people who go off the rails 
being upset about things like this. But this is taking it to an extreme. Brooklyn, New York. Law enforcement sources say a McDonald's worker was shot in the face on Monday night because uh, someone got cold French fries. Their order. Wow. 23-year-old victim was working at a fast food restaurant in Bedford-Stuyvesant, when it, which is not the best part of uh, town anyway in New York. And apparently, he got into an argument with a female customer about 7 p.m. local time on Monday. That fight then spilled out onto the street, where police say the woman's adult son pulled out a gun and shot the worker. Worker is recovering, from what I understand. The 20-year-old gunman was taken into custody by police. Doesn't say whether they ended up getting their hot fries. I'm guessing no. Man, oh man, that's... Um, From the international file, the uh, broken news, in Cambridge, England, rail service was disrupted for a couple of hours at the... Uh, Harling Road Station in Cambridge after a 110-pound tortoise started walking along the track. (laughs) The giant African-spurred tortoise named Clyde (laughs) uh, entered the tracks near the Harling Road Station, his shell slightly damaged by a train, but uh, fortunately they shut the uh, rail lines down then and he was able to be rescued. Clyde apparently the pet of a local resident who escaped, and he will soon be returned home. <laughs> Everything ends well for Clyde. Um, so no tortoises were significantly injured, just a, a little bruised on his shell. But can you imagine having to explain to the boss why you're late to work? Uh, on, uh, this was, what, Monday? On a Monday, no less. Um, having to explain to your boss? No, seriously. I'm late because the trains got shut down. There was a tortoise on the track. (laughs) Is your the boss sitting there saying, yeah, sure. That's why we have to report on these things, because otherwise people would be in trouble with their boss. And finally, in the uh, broken news this morning, uh, our requisite item out of Florida, this from Pasco County, Florida. Imagine just... Sitting on your couch, watching TV, minding your own business, when police suddenly show up to try to evict you from the premises. Uh, One lady in Pasco County, Florida, Jennifer Michelle, says she got a notification on her electronic doorbell um, that uh, there was somebody at her door. So she checks, you know, the app on her phone their doorbell camera and finds two deputies and a locksmith drilling through the lock on her front door (laughs) just out of the blue just randomly you're sitting on the couch watching tv minding your own business and suddenly there are two deputies and a locksmith drilling through the lock on the front door she said i i didn't know if these people i mean they look like they're dressed like deputies but who knows if they really were and i thought maybe it was somebody trying to break into the house So she spoke to the men through her doorbell camera, and they told me that they were serving an eviction. She said, that's news to me because I don't rent. (laughs) Uh, The officer said it was posted last week that she was being evicted. She said, I don't rent. I own my home. I'm paid up. I don't. I don't. uh, (laughs) I'm not behind on my mortgage or anything. Uh, Ms. Michelle continued speaking to the men, and eventually they realized they made a big mistake. She said, as soon as I said my name, they knew that they would that they had messed up. <laughs> Turns out the eviction brigade was actually supposed to bother the person next door. <laughs> uh, as soon as I came here, they told me that I'm going to need a new lock, and the uh, guy who was going to break my lock was going to fix it. Uh, but she has noted she is not thrilled with their apology, But she is thankful that she was home at the time because she wonders what would have happened if she hadn't been there to intercept the eviction crew. She said all of my stuff would probably be, you know, sitting out in the driveway. I have no idea how it would have played out if I hadn't been there to catch it. The Pasco County Sheriff's Office is investigating the mix up. As for Jennifer, she says she got a consolation prize. She posted the ring footage on her uh, TikTok on her social media, and it has now gone viral. (laughs) Can you imagine? 
<laughs> We're here to evict you. I don't rent. Uh, there you go. That is today's broken news report. This update on the odd and unusual side of the news brought to you as a public service, more or less. Of Hancock County Veterans Services, we now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Road work, detours, traffic backups, and delays, it can get a little frustrating and confusing, but we can help keep you ahead of the game. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Just check out the Traffic Center at WFIN.com and you'll know where the trouble spots are in Findlay and Hancock County. Download Waze, use it whenever you're driving, and join our drive team to help inform others of traffic issues. The WFIN Traffic Center, powered by Waze, and available at WFIN.com. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. How loyal are you to the brands that you usually buy? There was a time, a generation or two ago, when people were extremely loyal to uh, the brands that they purchased. Everything from the, the types of cars they bought the, to the uh, laundry detergent that they bought. I mean, you probably remember your parents or grandparents buy nothing but Fords or nothing but Chevys or what, whatever it might happen to be. These days, a whopping 54% of consumers would stop using a brand after just one bad experience. Man, how times have changed. This is a, a recent poll of 2,000 U.S. adults uh, found inconsistent or obsolete online product information as the number one deal breaker for consumers who would break up with a brand that they normally use. 24% said that is the, the biggest turnoff or brand that they actually prefer. They would go someplace just because there's outdated, inconsistent, or obsolete uh, product information online. Millennials, by the way, being most likely to cut the cord and stop using a brand after just one bad experience. 57% said that. Uh, half of those in the poll, 51%, also say a great online or social media experience, such as fast replies to their questions, uh, funny posts on social media, detailed how-to videos. All of those things would convince them to give a brand another try or give a brand a first try that they hadn't concerned uh, considered before. Uh, Two-thirds would be willing to switch brands if their initial experience with a new one is a cut above, according to this uh, survey. By the way, this was conducted by one poll on behalf of Propel Software. Now, kind of interesting uh, that not only 57% would likely uh, cut the cord with their favorite brand because of a bad experience. Two-thirds would be willing to sp switch brands if their first experience with a new one, because it always happens that you sometimes have to buy a new brand if something that you prefer is out of stock or whatever. But if you're going to get a good experience, you can a uh, company can earn a new customer just like that. 58% have recently switched from a brand they used to love to its competitor. For just that reason, almost half, 47% were enticed by an enhanced product experience, such as the availability of accessories, a better online community, or again, how-to videos. It's really interesting how much uh, the online component contributes to this uh, brand disloyalty, uh, brand loyalty or lack thereof, as the case may be. I don't know. For some people, I think uh, you get into August and things start to slow down uh, with summer. You kind of wrap things up and get uh, thinking about uh, the fall and back to school time and all of that. Not slowing down at all at the Hancock Historical Museum, apparently. No, this <laughs> is our busy time. It's yeah. a busy We're month. We're gearing up. <laughs> a busy month. Uh, lots of things coming up. Uh, first of all, got another uh, brown bag uh, lunch lecture coming up tomorrow, right? That's right. So always the first Thursday of the month, the Hancock Historical Museum over the lunch hour. And tomorrow we have with us Anna Dravis. Um, she is a painting conservator. So um, she studied first at Bowling Green State University and then did her graduate work actually in Florence, Italy. And mm. for the last 12 years has been working um, for, for herself um, out of her home studio in Bowling Green doing painting conservation. So she'll be coming and talking to us a little bit about the basics of painting conservation, which I think a lot of people find very interesting. You know, it's obviously very yeah. detailed work. And, oh, yeah. Um, she's worked on some pretty... Um, 
unique and, and fascinating projects in our region and, and across the country. So it'll be interesting to hear from her. Certainly a lot of expertise having studied uh, I mean, if you're going to study that particular uh, profession or that uh, skill, studying in Italy would be the place to be. So, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'll look forward to hearing even yeah. just about her background. Very and interesting. So uh, that is uh, tomorrow again, uh, noon, right? That's right. That's and right. it's always free for museum members. It's just $3 to come to the lecture if you're not a member. Okay. And uh, we encourage people to come a little bit early um, just because sometimes we fill up. Um, so you want to get a good seat. And you're welcome to, of course, bring a brown bag lunch with you. All right. Uh, and then did I hear this right? Not one, but two movie nights coming up in August? We have two because we weren't busy enough this month. We decided to add something else to the calendar. Um, so on the 13th, next weekend, we will have our first outdoor movie. So um, we decided to invest in one of those great big blow-up screens oh, okay, so we could yeah. do this at least once a year. And All our right. classic movies have become so popular that we wanted to do something a little bit different. So it'll be at 845 because we need to wait for the sun right. to go down. But right. we'll be in our parking lot at the Hancock Historical Museum. And we'll be watching American Graffiti. Um, and we chose this movie because we've been having so much fun this year with our 1960s local rock bands exhibit mm -hmm. um, that we kind of wanted to carry that theme through and celebrate the decade. We're going to have some great 1960s cars on site. We'll have some music playing. Bring your lawn chairs. It's free and open to the public. But the movie we will screen in the parking lot starting at 845 on the 13th. That is awesome. So definitely circle that on your calendar. That will be a lot of fun. And then the regular movie night is? The regular movie night is the following Friday. We okay. always do it the third Friday of the month. That one will be indoors. So we can start at 7 p.m. Our regular time for classic movie night. We're doing a more modern classic, 1979, Time After Time. Mm. Um, and again, starts at 7 o'clock. It's free and open to the public. We provide the refreshments. You know, it's interesting when you talk about a, a modern classic. We don't think of 1979 <laughs> as as being classic, uh, you know, the classic era, but heck, that's, you know, what, 40 years ago. Yes, so, and 40 you know, plus. we were I'm talking about this yesterday, and we, uh, starting next year, we will be able to, technically, the definition of classic will extend to 1985. <laughs> so we were talking about... Um, here I graduated high yeah, school. <laughs> back Sarah, to the you're future. making me feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, Chris. You're a classic. Uh, but we will, we're thinking about doing Back to the Future next year because it, it's coming into this classic it, era. It is, it is actually Back to the Future. Everything, everything in the Back to, Fu Back to the Future trilogy is now in the past. Yes, that's exactly Everything right. in the Back to the Future trilogy is that's back right. in the past. Uh, so circle those on the, uh, on the calendar. That should be. But Time After Time is a really uh, cool film. Yeah. So it's I haven't seen that in years. So yeah. uh, circle that on the calendar. A couple of other things that are coming up, uh, not necessarily in August, but we want to be aware of these. Yep, I've got one more in August oh, for you, and that's the day after Classic Movie, uh, the 20th of August. This will be fun. This is our pre-party for Oktoberfest. We're okay. going to have a drive through on the museum's campus. Schmidt Sausage House from Columbus is bringing their truck up, and so we will be doing a drive through all day where you can get your Schmidt's. Uh, fix before Oktoberfest because we know that line gets really long at Oktoberfest and okay. people around here just love So they're Schmitz. still going to be at Oktoberfest. They will Oktoberfest. still be at Oktoberfest. Okay. This is just an extra opportunity to enjoy some Schmitz. Everything needs to be pre-ordered via uh, website and so we will have that link go live the week before. Okay. Um, you'll be able to pick your time slot to come through the parking lot and pick up your Schmitz. Um, we'll also have a lot of Oktoberfest merchandise available so you can get all set Get your uh, swag ahead of time. Get your swag ahead of time. You'll be ready for Oktoberfest, which is September 24th downtown. Um, so we right now are hoping to get some more volunteers signed up to help. It takes almost 200 volunteers um, to help us just that day of the event. So if you'd like to volunteer for Oktoberfest on September 24th, you can go to our website at HancockHistoricalMuseum.org. You can find Oktoberfest Finley on our Facebook, and there's a link for you to sign up for a shift. You get a great T-shirt for the event and free admission to Oktoberfest. So, so. can't beat that. Yeah. Yep. So uh, again, to uh, underscore what you mentioned, maybe the most important part about the uh, Schmidt's drive-through is you have to you have to pre-order online. That's correct. Uh, so we don't really have the capacity to be able to accept walk-up orders. So okay. you'll need to order in advance. The last time we did this, we did sell out of every possible time slot over the course of eight hours so you will want to get your order in as soon as the link goes live which yeah. will be five days before the 20th 
Okay. Um, again, look on Oktoberfest Finley's Facebook page and on our website at HancockHistoricalMuseum.org for more information about that. As a matter of fact, just go and like that uh, that Facebook just page. Just do it. Just yeah. like it so that it always <laughs> pops up and you are season. and you don't yeah. forget about it. Uh, and also another event that is uh, coming up, like I said, is very very busy. Uh, the uh, barn tour is coming up. Uh, what in September? September. Oh, it 10th. is September. Okay, yep. I was for some reason I was thinking November, but uh, it's in September. Yep, September tenth, and um, tickets will go on sale the middle of this month. Okay, and we have always done the barn tour every other year. Of course, we got thrown off a little bit on our schedule with COVID um, for a couple of years. So I know we've gotten a lot of messages. People are really excited about this event coming back. We highlight six historic barns throughout the county. It's a great day out in the country. We have activities at each barn, and we do quite a bit of research on the history of these barns and the families uh, that that have owned them over the course of generations. Mm-hmm. So you learn so much history and a lot about these great cultural resources that we have here in Hancock County, these old timber-framed barns. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of stories. Uh, these are structures, boy, if they could, if they could tell tales. Absolutely. The, the I just could talk. I love those old barns. They do. They yeah. each have a, their own story. And really interesting to see uh, how some of them have been adapted for maybe not necessarily the original purpose, although some, I'm sure, are still being used for that. Yes, but. many are still fully functional on, on operational farms, um, but many, even on these operational farms, have um, been adapted so that, that they could yeah. accommodate like new machinery mm-hmm. and just changing the changing times. Yeah. So it's remarkable that many of them are still standing after well over 150 years. Yeah, really uh, terrific stuff. So uh, folks can get the uh, tickets for that. And and is there a limited number of tickets for the barn tour? Or is that just as many as you can sell? Yep, there are not a limited number, okay. but you do get um, a price break if you buy them in advance. So okay. $10 uh, if you buy them pre-sale. They're $15 day of, but that event is always free for kids. We would love for you to bring your children out. It's a family event, and hopefully kids learn a little bit more about what life was like on the farm. A lot of us are pretty far removed from the farm. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We've got a link up uh, on our webpage for more information about all of those uh, activities from the uh, Hancock Historical Museum and uh, in the month of uh, August and beyond. Busy, busy time. Sarah Sisser, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. And that will finish up our podcast for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage. Go and check us out online at goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, the Findlay Hancock County Community Foundation wants to talk. We have details on another round of community conversations, what they have learned from them before, what they hope to accomplish now. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.